0: Welcome to the modern warrior podcast I am your host Gavin Meenan, and on this podcast I will be speaking to inspirational individuals who specialize in the field of physical and mental health to offer you the tools that you need to become a stronger healthier and more confident man in today's world hello and welcome to episode number 51 of the Modern Warrior podcast today. I'm extremely excited to have Noah Levine with me. Now, Noah is an American Buddhist teacher and author. As a counselor, he's known for his philosophical alignment with Buddhism and punk ideology. He identifies his Buddhist beliefs and practices with both the Theravada and Mahayana traditions. I hope I've got that pronunciation right. And he's also written several books on Buddhism and Buddhist practice, including, go and check it out, Refuge Recovery, A Buddhist Path to Recovering from Addiction. And that's something I'm very interested in hearing more about, about his uh, road to recovery from his addictions and his suicide attempts and also his time in juvenile prison. So quite a journey he's been on, and I'm sure all you listeners, all you guys are going to derive massive inspiration from this podcast with Noah. So without further ado, let's introduce the main man.
1: Noah, how are you? Doing pretty good. Thanks, Gavin. Nice to see you. Happy to be on. Um, yeah, currently things are are good.
0: Yeah, it's great. It's an absolute, absolute honor to have you on, my man. I think it's the first time I had a podcast a guest on who's had his own wikipedia page that's that's quite an oh, honor <laughs> so you're yeah, the first yeah, uh,
1: yeah, a, having a wikipedia page is a blessing and a curse
0: i'm sure yes uh, <laughs> There'll be a lot of misinformation <laughs> up there but uh, yeah. we, we can peel that apart as well and uh, get down to the cold hard facts and yeah as i mentioned to you i, I came across your instagram page after um, a podcast episode with one of my other guests and looked you up and i was incredibly inspired by the journey you've been on and i was incredibly intrigued by it as well as a man i've been through my own struggles and challenges i've overcome many difficulties in my own life traumas and tragedies and uh, broken connections and a porn addiction and a dependency on alcohol all these sort of things so i could relate to your your journey to a certain extent um, so you certainly struck me as someone who would be of incredible value on this podcast and just to sort of go back to your own journey going back to the to the beginning, perhaps or back to your teenage years where you were in a very difficult place by the sounds of it um you've come from a background or a childhood where your parents had a history of addiction so and then went through a divorce, so already quite. Broken foundations there, perhaps from the past, and that was your that was the beginning of your life and sort of evolved to further chaos from that point. Would you agree?
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, born into a a family, as you said, where there was some addiction, but there was also Um, some spirituality. My parents were, you know, American, San Francisco, Haight-Ashbury, hippie, meditator. My father was, by the time I was born, was already teaching meditation, had been very serious about his own spiritual practice and had a history of addiction. And so I was born into this kind of, you know, mixture of the Dharma, right? Spiritual teachings, but also alcoholism and addiction, and, you know, by the time I was two, my parents were divorced. I think an uh, interesting part of my backstory is that my father had gotten into doing hospice, working with dying people, terminally ill, and Anne uh, and had a Buddhist Hindu view on life and death and incarnation, reincarnation, reincarnation, and, and this kind of core message <clears throat> that death is normal, it's natural, and it's not the end of us this sort of spiritual, there's an afterlife, there's reincarnation, there's something. And so by the time I was five years old, I thought, okay, like, life is kind of sucks. I, I feel, you know, wounded and ignored and abandoned and all of that stuff. And suicide started to become Uh, you know, uh, an idea, uh, idealization, you know, a kind of obsession on some level and kind of like the only control I had was that I can end it. So by the time I'm five, I'm contemplating suicide regularly. And then I started getting high at like seven years old and drinking and using and and you know, by the time I'm 10, I'm taking psychedelics. And by the time I'm 12, I'm doing cocaine and drinking all of the time. And, you know, by the time I'm a teenager, I'm strung out. I'm shooting heroin, I'm smoking crack, I'm an alcoholic. Um, you know, so it went down, it went downhill pretty quickly. And I think, you know, one of the other pieces for me is, you know, like, although I'm a recovering addict, I also feel like the drugs and the alcohol in some ways saved my life. You know, it was self-medicating. It was coping with the pain that I was experiencing and trauma and some sexual abuse. And, you know, all of the shit that just, like, led to, I don't want to feel, I don't want to be, I don't want to exist. And then if I kill myself, this idea that you just get to start over. That it's not totally the end. It's re, you know, it's, it's, you know, you get out and you get another, you know, go at it, which on some level with suicide, in my experience, makes suicide not all that comforting. Because if you, if you believe that death is the end, then you're like, cool, I'm out. But if you believe, oh, shit, I got to start over. Hopefully I'll get a better draw next time. Yeah. It's a different relationship to death, to suicide. Um, so yeah, it was a wild ride. Um, The other thing that I think is important for me is that I always wanted community. I didn't have it in my family. And, you know, like I wanted to be accepted by a group, a group of guys. I wanted to be, um, and I found that when I found punk rock in 1980 and I was you know nine or ten years old and you know the kind of the pistols and the clash and the black flag and all of the kind of you know California and UK punk and um you know the Ramones and I heard the music and I was like okay no shit this is the voice of the angst that I feel and then found the punks which was, you know, small counterculture, but it was like, oh no, these are my people that where I'm accepted, and we're all suicidal, self destructive, you know, it's like we all we we get each other, right? We're not trying to fit into the mainstream. We are the outsiders, I and mean, that was important, you know, to be accepted by a group. But of course, it's a it was a very self destructive group that I got involved with, and you know, um, half of my friends died young. You know, and uh, or or I I got a call yesterday from one of my friends from back then that just got out of prison after almost 30 years. You know, and it's like here I am 30 years later, sober, meditating, having this, you know, the marriage, the children, the divorce, all of that stuff, and he's been locked up for 30 years for doing the same shit I was doing, and um. So what a wild uh, incarnation it has been for me. I got sober when I was 17. You know, I was locked up and I was strung out and I was suicidal. And, and my dad taught me meditation. And um, and I started going to 12-step. And uh, the meditation gave me some hope. And the 12-step gave me some community of recovering people, but I didn't like the philosophy. It was a bit too Christian, Judeo-Christian, God is going to do it for you, believe in God, which is great. A lot of people, it works for a lot of people, but for me, I was a bit too skeptical, rational, whatever you want to call it, to really um, believe that there was going to be some sort of divine intervention in my life. But meditation gave me a tool to actually train my mind and to start to see that I could ignore my mind and not obey it. Cause my mind said, drink, use, steal, fight, fuck, kill, <laughs> you know, like instinctual drive mind that was ruling my life. But meditation started to change my relationship to it. Um, you know, and that was 30, oh, coming up 34 years ago, 1988. And I've stayed sober since then. I put down the drugs and alcohol, and just said that's not, uh, you know, that that stuff. Although it gave me some relief in the beginning, it caused more and more suffering. Mm-hmm. And so I established and have maintained abstinence, and started a meditation practice that I've maintained. Um, and you know, I mean, wherever you want to go from the conversation from there, my. You know my relationship with my parent. You know my father is a, an interesting one, where he became my meditation teacher, and uh, you know uh, he wasn't a he wasn't a great dad. He wasn't very present uh, as a father. He was very interested in being a teacher, and he was a great teacher, but he wasn't a very present father. Um, But then when I became his student, we had this sort of like, okay, now, now I have something to offer you. And that was good for some time, until, um, until I developed my own views and opinions, some of which differed from him spiritually. And then that was hard for him to accept that I was rejecting some of his wisdom, right, My, my father was a very mystical, almost shamanistic new age uh, gurus and you know kind of some some magic involved in his spirituality. And for whatever reason, I landed in a very rational humanist psychology. Um, I don't think that this is magic. I think that this is how our minds work and how we can learn to respond with compassion to our own pain. Mm -hmm. how we can learn to forgive and that it's all much more of an inside job than any sort of mysticism involved. Um, So we ended up having a bit of a falling out and it made our relationship quite challenging. I, I think that my dad was probably more than a little bit narcissistic, where you know like a lot of us teachers are <laughs> where, where as long as like everybody's listening to you and and praising you but as soon as people start disagreeing you're like hey wait fuck you <laughs> and so I ended up having that with my father a bit which was painful um he died about um 4 years ago now almost 5 years ago now so um and had kind of been grieving the loss of our relationship towards the end of his life Anyways, anywhere you want to take the conversation, um,
0: happy because to. There, there's there's a lot there for sure to try and unpack and is to yeah to bring some of the more relatable topics to the to the table, which um, these guys can take value from. As I said, and there's loads there. As I said, a lot of the guys listening to this are going through their own difficulties or perhaps on their own pitfalls. As you said, you were at your own emotional rock bottom when you decided to make that change and you started to change direction in your life and that's brought you to the point you're at today perhaps that was that was the turning point that was the beginning of your journey and what i like about you as well is it's not all it's not all religion and buddhism and all the sort of eb stuff and you know some of the some of these things that go over people over people's heads um yeah, yeah. I'm, not yeah. Trying to, I'm not not trying to insult the buddhist religion or I'm, anything. i'm definitely all for it but you also bring in you're a you're a, you've got a master's degree in counseling psychology so you also bring in that side of it and i just like how you integrate both the buddhism and the psychology aspect with your work i think that's extremely powerful and and as you said, you've come up with your own theories and your own ideas when it comes to your practices. And what are those? What what are? Would you have like three, five pillars that you sort of adhere to in terms of your teachings and in, ter- in terms of your approach when it comes to unpacking someone's trauma, someone's difficulties, um, trying to help them to move forward in their own lives if they are at their own emotional rock bottom or perhaps somewhere near that or heading towards it. Yeah.
1: I mean, it's hard for me to kind of boil it down into some bullet points and the, you know, the reality is, is that my own search and journey, you know, early on, you know, in recovery, they were saying, you know, you have to believe in a higher power that will restore you to sanity and, didn't quite make sense to me but then i also heard them saying you know like study different spiritual you know methods and 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 so you know i looked into hinduism and i looked into buddhism and i looked into christianity and islam and sufism and um and kind of like try to see like where's the wisdom here what what's the uh universal truth um about awakening and healing and um and of course it's compassion you know like compassion but compassion is like well how do i do that and i feel like a lot of traditions just say like well, be compassionate and i'm like okay but i don't know how to be compassionate i hate pain and i don't feel very empathetic towards other people's pain and that's where like buddhism gave me a meditation practice of like, here, turn towards. And so like, that might be the first thing. Mm -hmm. Stop running, sit down, right? Meditate, sit down. And then in your meditation, don't try to transcend or avoid what's happening. Turn towards it with a kindness, a willingness to be tolerant of your own pain, because we start with aversion, right? Like nobody likes to be in pain. We all hate it. But so we start with like, okay, can I sit with it even though I hate it? And then the more we sit with it and investigate it, eventually it comes to a place of having some tolerance and some mercy and some compassion and forgiveness over the, but the first thing is, turn towards it and be with your pain. And this is why, you know, my whole thing is called against the stream. I should have changed my name on the screen here to to my name, but, um, but against the stream, because it's the stream to run from our pain, to medicate it, to avoid it, to turn on the porn, to take the drink, to, you know, scroll on social media, however we're avoiding. And seeking, you know, the pleasure, the dopamine, the whatever it is. So the first thing is turn towards it. And 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 it's, and I like the like your warrior, modern warrior, and um, you know that, that's like the warrior within, not good at kicking ass out there in the world, but that internal willingness to sit with like that spiritual warriorship of I can sit with my own pain Mm -hmm. and the more we can learn to sit with our own pain and turn towards it and learn to care about it then we can sit with other people's pain then we can hold the space and and become you know I don't love the term healers but that kind of uh, the more we do our own healing the more we facilitate others doing their own healing mm-hmm. um so compassion you know kind of number one compassion forgiveness um the the, the warrior attitude of um
0: going towards frankly, running away.
1: Of going towards and also of like generosity and friendliness and it's so easy to be unkind and tough and you know that's easy that's normal it's so radical to be loving to be compassionate to be forgiving i love the story i don't know if you've ever talked about this on your podcast before but how like the tibetan buddhists you know, the Dalai Lama and the kind of the ancestors in in Tibet were warriors and they were, you know, conquering the world. And, you know, you think of like the Huns or something like that, Attila the Hun, you know, like that's, you know, Mongolia, Tibet. And they're out kicking ass, murdering, raping, pillaging warriors. And then at some point they feel like, well, we've, you know, we've conquered the world. And we've moved to the most unhospitable (laughs) location on the whole planet in the Himalayas. What about conquering the self? And that as Buddhism came into uh, Tibet, they were a very violent uh, community and culture. And that as they practiced turning towards and developing, that they became an almost completely nonviolent, compassion-based society. Mm -hmm. Over the generations of everyone saying like, it's not about conquering the world. It's about conquering the ego. It's about conquering hatred. It's about compassion and wisdom and truth. So that's, you know, I'm always inspired by that from the outer revolution to the inner revolution. But this whole thing is, totally counterinstinctual, against the stream, against our natural tendency to craving, to aversion, to self-centeredness. Mm-hmm. So compassion and wisdom and, and, um, and some renunciation. You know, there's, we, ha- we don't get to just do whatever we wanna do. Like you have experienced, like I've experienced, sometimes you just have to put the porn down, you just have to stop. You have to put the alcohol down, you just have to stop. And it's easier said than done, I know, okay, just stop. But ultimately it does come down to, there are behaviors that, although they may have temporarily created pleasure, they're creating more suffering. And when we identify that, then we have to practice abstinence. We have to practice uh, renunciation around, you know, drugs and alcohol, you know, the, the mindfulness, the compassion, the mindfulness, you have to have a clear mind in order to do it. So, you know, the drugs and the alcohol um, cloud the mind, and then you can't be very mindful. And so the Buddha's encouragement, whether you're an addict like me uh, or not, is to practice abstinence just so that you can be fully cognizant of your thoughts and feelings and emotions and reactions and that you can actually learn to choose because as soon as you get high you're not in full choice as soon as you get a buzz you're not in full choice uh which is why it feels so good (laughs) which is why we all you know liked getting high and drunk so much um you know mindfulness reveals the more you know i'm you know mindfulness is kind of the core for me buddhist mindfulness um, and it reveals the truth that whatever is happening is changing, is impermanent. It's arising, it's passing. No matter how strong the shame, how strong the guilt, how strong the fear, whatever the afflictive emotion is that's coming, the more we're mindful, the more we can see, oh, this is arising, being felt in my body and my mind and catastrophizing whatever my mind is doing, but it's also passing. It's impermanent and that is so there's so much liberation, so much freedom in knowing that whatever is happening is temporary and I can sit with it. I can have that warrior taking my seat, taking my uh, and let it arise and pass and be willing to feel it all without you know, obeying the mind that says, you can't handle this, you should kill yourself, or you can't handle this, you should drink, or you should go jack off for the seventh time, or whatever the mind is telling you, and just being like, no, that's bad advice, because mindfulness changes our relationship. Before I started meditating, when I was a kid, I just did whatever my mind told me to do. Mm -hmm. That's why I got locked up over and over and strung out. And then when I started meditating, I I woke up to, oh, not only is my mind untrustworthy, there's the ability to disobey, to disengage, to rebel against that. And then the long-term outcome of meditation is that the mind becomes more trustworthy. And our relationship, uh, there's a discernment that gets developed of like, oh, that's a you know when the mind is suggesting kindness and compassion and eventually it starts to do that we're like oh that's a trustworthy thought but when it's giving self-centered craving based advice renunciation mm-hmm. so you know it also really depends on you know with your list of people tuning into this you know what what is the manifestation of suffering you know if it's addiction then certainly abstinence is the beginning um if it's shame if it's you know big resentments then maybe we're going more towards forgiveness and compassion um i i'm you know i'm a big fan of of sobriety but for you know i'm not i'm not i mean i certainly don't believe in any kind of like prohibition you know like if people want to use they should you know have the freedom to do that as far as i'm concerned legalize all of it stop you know but uh but if you're serious about healing and awakening abstinence is going to probably be you know a part of that process for you in order to get to that healing to that awakening to that you know uh conquering of this ego mind that gives us such bad advice so often Mm
0: mm-hmm yeah it's a great analogy as well where you you use the story of the of the monks and their and their conquering of the world and all of this that they're seeking in the external you know conquering the world achieving this success here and you you gain all that and again this is an analogy of life today where society's programming us that oh in order to be happy you need to have x amount of money in your bank account you need to have the wife you need to have the the fancy car the big house and it's somewhat quite similar to the to the monk's journey in terms of conquering outside of themselves to succeed in their lives yeah, yeah. and at the end of the day still coming up and feeling quite empty because it's all been outside of themselves And i think that's yeah as as much as as what you say is so true and and i've been through that process myself in terms of stop just stop for a moment cultivate some peace and silence in your life and start to listen to your thoughts and feel your emotions feel the pain ask questions about it for me i i've, I've dipped in and out of meditation i know there's many different forms of meditation maybe this is one other form of it and i'm not too sure if it falls under the same umbrella but for me I started to journal first thing in the morning, go somewhere peace and quiet, where it was just me, usually in nature, and whatever I was thinking, just started writing it down, and that was my journey of beginning to process my my feelings and emotions and and to let go of the pain that was associated with them so However, as I said, society makes it very difficult for us. society has created so many barriers to to that progress so many buyers to to find that peace within because as i said you're conditioned to get your nine five job to earn your money to have the wife have the kids have the fancy life but ultimately tread that whole process and what i'm finding in my own work with my what the guys i work with is yes they have all this great stuff in their life and the external but internally they still feel broken or empty or shamed and they're dipping in and out of porn on a regular basis they have their indulgences there maybe drinking a bit more than they would like to so and these are all for me these are signs that okay you need to start paying attention to this because this is a message that there's something within that you're not dealing with there's something there's a pain within that you're not addressing so but it requires you to stop it requires you to cultivate some space and time in your life to actually be on your own and begin to pay attention to you instead of pushing forward and earning the next paycheck or keeping up appearances for the sake of society
1: 100% and just
0: waking up to
1: um it doesn't work nothing outside of ourselves is going to provide you know it's we've all been sold this bill of goods this lie this this fallacy that just as you're saying if you get enough you'll be happy but it doesn't work because craving is repetitive this is the buddha's second noble truth the cause of all of our suffering is this level of dissatisfaction that we all experience because no matter what you get it's not going to work it's not it's impermanent it's not going to last and so then we when we wake up to that and say oh no this is an inside this is in me i can't buy succeed you know my way to happiness it's in my own heart it's in my own mind it's an internal transformation that can go along with the family and the career and you know it's not saying like you have to leave all that behind you can you know but just stop thinking that it's the solution you know, you still can have ambition and career, and you know all of that stuff. Like uh, spiritual practice, awakening, journaling, all of that, which helps us get to the roots of our what's causing our dissatisfaction. Doesn't mean you have to stop, you know, uh, when I, you know, engaging in the world, like actually using your relationship as an opportunity for healing, rather than thinking it's going to be the source of your happiness. Like relationships are hard. <laughs> And they are an an opportunity for humility and compassion and forgiveness and, you know, not getting our way all of the time and, you know, navigating that relational space. Huge opportunity if we take it as that. But so disappointing when we wake up to like, oh, no, I thought this was just supposed to be easy and fun. Like, no, no, that's not that's not ever how it is for anybody.
0: Yeah, that's not it's not a movie. (laughs) <laughs> unfortunately not yeah and at at the moment meditation's a, a big part of your practice big part of your work and i know you work with um with juvenile and adult prison inmates so somewhere you've been. I don't
1: don't as much anymore for many years because I started meditating when I was locked up. So then I went back into the juvenile hall and I did my grad school internship at San Quentin prison and was, I was really doing the prison work for a long time. But then at some point with the books and my travel and teaching retreats, and I was gone too much to be accountable enough for the inmates. Mm. And I didn't want to be another one of those people that was abandoning them by, you know, sometimes being there, sometimes not. So I turned it over, you know, I created a nonprofit, I turned it over to other people to do that work. And I, sometimes I miss it actually, I haven't been doing the prison work for the last few years. My buddy who just got out um, and I talked to him briefly yesterday, he said, uh, he said, you know, I was in the prison you were supposed to come to last year. Um, and, you know, the, uh, but then I got shut down for COVID. So occasionally I get a invitation to go um, speak in a prison and I'll always go, you know, if I can. Um, and it was just so wild that like I would have walked into this prison and would have seen one of my old really good friends that's like literally I think it's 27 or 28 years he's been locked up and I would have walked in and he would have been there. And this happened to me when I was in the prison, I'd see the guys that I used to hang with still locked up. Um, You know, it just gives so much sort of grace and gratitude and So I I love the prison work, but I haven't been engaged in it. Um, My kind of life has taken me more towards working with addicts and refuge recovery and counseling and teaching meditation retreats and, you know, working with people when they, uh, you know, I've always wanted to create this community where everyone's welcome, whether you're an addict or you're not an addict, you know, male, female, like I haven't done a lot of men's work. I've done a little bit of men's work, but I've always felt like, well, I don't want to exclude, I want to be inclusive. And uh, so, you know, is uh, include women in the retreats and in the community and um. You know, so I'm really focused on my meditation center here in California and Venice. And uh, and I was traveling a lot for a long time uh, and I would travel and and teach over in, you know, in the UK and in, um, you know, the continent and Europe and and all over. But, you know, a couple of things. One, covid. She kind of shut down a lot of that, and then, uh, and I know you wanted to maybe talk about this a little bit. You know, three about three years ago, at the sort of you know height of everything, I had five meditation centers, um, and um, I had an addiction treatment center, and I had just been divorced. I was married for nine years, and and I started dating, and you know got back into the world. And also, you know, I was successful and a little bit famous and making good money and all of that. And, you know, one of the things about being a teacher is, you know, there's a, a strong prohibition about dating students. You know, you can't you, you don't want to be one of those guys, one of those gurus that's fucking all of their students. So I was quite careful about that, and I started dating online. I joined the apps, and I was like, okay, I got to meet some women who aren't associated with my community, Um, but I was, you know, kind of at the place where, you know, I'd see students online, or I'd go out with a woman who I thought didn't know who I was, and then they'd be like, you know, I actually read your book, or I went to your lecture, or that kind of stuff, so that sort of anonymity around it was quite challenging, Um, and after I'd been single for a couple of years, I was dating a couple I was sort of, you know, looking for a relationship and I was dating a couple of different people. And one of the women that I was dating after we'd been dating for about three months uh, and it wasn't monogamous, we hadn't kind of gotten there yet. Um, She like, after, you know, we'd been sexual a bunch of times and had good, I thought good communication about boundaries and thought we had good communication. And after the last time we slept together, a day later or two days later, she said, you know, something that happened between us the other night wasn't consensual. And I was like, what do you, you know, what, what, what was it? And then she just kind of like disappeared and wouldn't talk to me anymore. And I was like, oh, okay. You know, and I kind of just was confused by it, I was, I was a bit offended by it. I was like, how, how dare you? Like, you know, um, but also concerned for her, you know, like, well, what, what was it? Like, let's talk about it. Cause I'm not aware of, you know you didn't say anything at the time and it all felt very consensual. Anyways, this turned into months later, uh, you know she filed an accusation of assault. And then, you know, in the midst of the Me Too movement and the um, cancel culture, uh, people in my community and the kind of being a public figure, all of a sudden it turned into this sex scandal and it destroyed my whole community. And it was based on, you know, one false accusation from my perspective, like so hard to fathom, you know, I want to believe, and uh, I'm a kind of, want to land in the feminist and believe women. and, um, But I just couldn't fathom like what was it that happened that wasn't consensual and why wasn't it communicated at the time? Um, so maybe she had a trauma response or something. I don't know. She might have frozen or shut down, but I believe that there was something that happened for her. I just wasn't aware of it. Um, so this was huge, Gavin. This led to the loss of, you know, what it had taken me 20 years to build, like kind of, you know, sort of overnight, all the meditation centers closed. The the rehab basically went bankrupt because, you know, I was blacklisted. My own teacher kind of uh, privately told me, we know it's not true, but you're bad for business. So we're throwing you under the bus, sorry. And some of my closest friends that I, I thought were my closest friends that had built this community with me walked away with half a million dollars in our nonprofit and the mailing lists and, and really just like turn their back on, on the whole thing. So devastating, but also I was able to come at it with 30 years of meditation practice and saying like, wow, I, I'm shocked at what's happening. Uh, I wanna take full responsibility for any ways that I've been unskillful. And I'm sure I've been unskillful in relationships and and working relationships because more than the assault accusation, I was shocked by how the people around me were so quick to turn their back and lie and cheat and steal to benefit themselves when they had the opportunity and not to support me. And so just like looking at the whole thing uh, as an opportunity, like, okay, this is painful and this is where compassion comes in. This is where forgiveness comes in. This is where staying sober comes in. And rather than letting it be something that, you know, got jaded or uh, turn away from, just saying my commitment is to my own healing and awakening and to being of service to others who want to heal and recover and and wake up. And, you know, this isn't a career, this is a calling. So even though what was had become this very successful thing with the, you know, cash and prizes, it became, you know, okay, I started teaching meditation, you know, 25 years ago in my living room, and then you know it got big, 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 and then it went back to teaching meditation in my living room <laughs> because that's what I you know do. Uh, whether it's you know I, I think of I think of bands that like had the stadium tours, you know, like they had that really successful album and they they had the stadium tour, and then you know the next album not so good, and they're back to playing clubs. And that's sort of been my experience of like. I'm somebody who wants to help. And so whether I'm helping thousands or 20 people in my living room, I'm gonna keep doing it. Um, But the bottom line with all of that was compassion, forgiveness, forgiving myself for the ways that I was unskillful, forgiving the people around me who didn't have enough whatever it was compassion love uh loyalty whatever it was forgiveness and coming out of it you now three years later with that feeling that it's only able to get you know with some perspective of like what a blessing that whole thing was because i got to see who are my true Friends and companions on the, in this life and on the path, and I got to see who was just hanging around to kind of benefit from my celebrity. Um, and now I, you know, now i I feel more clear about kind of where I'm at and who's around me. And but what a trip, you know. And and I kind of jokingly, I know this has been so devastating for so many people um but i sort of feel like you know everyone should experience this (laughs) you know like especially like spiritual teachers you know who kind of start to i'm sure i was guilty of this sort of being a little bit inflated by my own you know uh, success and celebrity and just like what a great thing to just have the ego destroyed Mm -hmm. and the reputation and the Wikipedia page, you know, scarred with these, you know, he's been accused of sexual misconduct and and um and just be like, okay, it's not true. I know it's not true, but everybody else doesn't. What how what a great thing for my own ego to be deflated in that way. Mm-hmm. For someone like me, who more than as we were talking about before, more than external success, I'm interested in freedom. I want to be as free as fucking possible. And, you know, maybe it's harder to be free when you are getting uh, all of the uh, praise and uh, maybe a little bit better to, you know, have a bit more of this, you know, criticism and and to really get free. Mm -hmm. So that's been my experience, you know, with all of it so far and we'll see how, it and, you know, and everything's rebuilding you know, and Refuge Recovery is rebuilding and Against the Stream is rebuilding. And, you know, I'm staying the course with my life's calling, which is to help. How can I help?
0: Incredible. Yeah, I uh, I get it. I, I've been there myself to a certain extent where I was perhaps publicly humiliated. Now I was on my own by my own actions but as i mentioned to you i uh i did have an addiction to porn which brought me as far as webcam chat rooms and all the rest i was i was pretty deep in it and unfortunately some of the footage that was on these webcam chat rooms was posted on a, on a porn site a couple of years later which a lot of people seen and this certainly tarnished my reputation at the time I'd built quite a successful personal training business. I was had a pretty good re- reputation at the time as being a great coach and a go-to guy in the community for anyone who was struggling to to uh, to get into shape or wanted to improve their lives. So, and yeah, at the time, I uh I was completely floored. Thought I was going to lose everything and. Uh, as as you mentioned, you look back at this and you thank it for happening. And I remember my mentor at the time saying those exact same words whilst I was in the middle of that storm. saying you know what, man? Someday you're gonna look, you're gonna look back at this and you're gonna thank this experience for happening. And I'm going. What the fuck are you talking about? This is, this is the worst thing ever. I've been too soon, too soon, too soon. Yeah, but. Um, that was that was a turning point for me though as well that that changed my direction and the work i did as i said at that point i was i was going through my own healing of course and processing a lot of the pain which ultimately brought me to the porn and and created that addiction and i was starting working through that process when this came up but after i think six months after that happened i had written my first ever book um based on that experience to help other guys with their struggles be it with any sort of addiction or any sort of past trauma or pain that they were dealing with so that changed my direction with the work that i'm that, that i was doing and, and i'm i'm doing today I'm, i I do mentor a lot of men at the moment it's not just personal training it's not just the the body but also the mind and and uh, spirituality and life in general so as I said, yeah, these experiences, um, are quite humbling. And if you can derive the, the, the message behind it or the positivity behind it or the lessons behind it, you can use that to strengthen you and, and to harness your progress going forward or to, to bring you towards a new direction in life. So I, yours was a bit more extreme and I'm sure at the at that time as well you you had uh you know you were much further ahead than i was at that point in my career it, it doesn't really matter perhaps but at the same time we still had to go through that process yeah. of of uh, being humiliated and yeah. um as i said yeah there's there's opportunity in every problem which i often quote it's to find the opportunity in that pain and that problem to be able to use it for for strength to be able to progress from that point forward to, to something better in your life and i'm sure you've used that as well like with this rebuilding process is it is it a whole new building or are you are you sort of going back and repairing what was damaged in the past or are you sort of bringing in a whole new dynamic now you 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 also have been rebuilt through this process as well understanding as well that you've as you said you understand who your friends are now you've you have a whole new sense of awareness around who you are and the people you surround yourself with. So that in itself was a rebuilding process.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's mostly, it's mostly new. Um, I haven't, you know, I'm mostly just carrying on with, with what I'm doing, which is, you know, I have my meditation classes and I refuge recovery is, you know, I have these two nonprofits that I, you know, facilitate and, um, and just, you know, I, I haven't gone back. I'm not trying to get back in good. I'm I'm sort of like blacklisted from, you know, Buddhism in the West. <laughs> um, and I'm not like trying to go and like get people to change their mind about me. Um, I'm just going to carry on with my work and, you know, not, I'm not, I'm not begging, you know, for, you know, it's such a tricky thing because they, there was a path, you know, supposedly for me to like my, my teacher said like, Hey, if you'll just stop teaching for, you know, three years or something and, and sort of like tell everybody you're a sex addict and beg forgiveness. And I said, you know, I, I would, if, if I, if that were true for me, I would do it. If I had actually done something that, Uh, warranted me not teaching and betraying all of the people that look to me for support, I would do it if I, you know, but this is actually not true. This just happens to be a false accusation. And so I'm not going to lie. Like I'm committed to honesty. I'm not going to lie to people and say I did something that I didn't do or that I'm addicted to sex and that that's why this woman said I assaulted her. You know, like if it's true, it's true. And I would admit it, but it just isn't in in my experience. So, uh, you know, there's not really a bridge back to that. You know, they're like, well, you didn't do what we asked you to do. And I was like, yeah, go fuck yourself. You know, like I'm not playing the political, you know, game of, you know, and this is sort of like sex scandal 101 in the States, you know, go to rehabs you know, like, and, I don't wanna dismiss it when it's true. Like your experience, you know, yeah, like you had an experience where it was like, you saw some truth in there. There was some addictive behaviors and then you addressed them. For me, you know, like I have addictive behaviors, but they're not around sex, (laughs) you know, like it's about substances and I have to be very careful and, and, you know, abstinent around uh, substances. So I'm just rebuilding, you know, what I had already kind of started and that's a much smaller scale. There's also something beautiful about like I'm teaching retreats again and now I get like 30 people or, you know, 40 people at a retreat, which is still fucking great, but it used to be 150 people. So to get 30 people, I can actually connect with everyone in the room on some level. When there's 150 people in the room, it's just a lecture. It's an auditorium, you know. So uh, I quite like that, and my students really like it. Some of the ones that stuck with me, they're like, "This is amazing," because we didn't used to get to talk to you. You weren't accessible. Now you're right there with us, and you're accessible. We love it. Yeah. <laughs> We're glad everything got fucked up. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that's it, man. A blessing in disguise, yeah, for for many people, and uh, yeah, a lot more of an intimate. Uh, scenario or intimate environment now, which is uh I think very important in that meditating meditative, um, Yeah, and the, the, we're starting to come, coming near the end. But uh, to touch a little bit in term, touch on uh, the refuge recovery and the sort of work you do there. What does that involve exactly, or what sort of people do you work with there?
1: So if people are aware of. Um addiction recovery, the main perspective for the last, you know, 85 years, or however long it's existed, are the 12 steps, which is, you know, Dr. Bob and Bill Wilson, these American, you know, folks who, uh, you know, they created the 12-step program, and it's very Christian, it's Judeo-Christian, you know, they say the Lord's Prayer in meetings, and, you know, it's it's very um, theistic. And I've been part of that for you know 34 years, and, and I appreciate it. The community there is great. But Buddhism just makes more sense to me. The Buddha's Four Noble Truths, which start with uh, normalizing the suffering that we all experience, identifying the repetitive craving that leads to the suffering that we experience, giving the hope that actually it's possible to end the suffering through our own efforts, And the Eightfold Path, which is the process to ending suffering through mindfulness and uh, renunciation and wisdom. So I've been practicing Buddhism for all these years in my own recovery. So then I created refuge recovery of like, here's the Buddha's teachings and how we can use them to recover in a non-theistic way. You know, the Buddha is not a God, it's, you know, this isn't religious, this is humanist psychology. This is how the human mind works, how reactive we are, and how we can transform it through meditation, service, kindness, forgiveness. Um, So Refuge Recovery works on, on kind of three levels. One is the first and the most, the biggest piece of it is that it's meetings, just like, recovery meetings, peer led meditation based recovery meetings. Since the pandemic on zoom, you know, um, there's, and, and I actually, we have people from Ireland that uh, attend regularly, but most of the meetings are, you know, in the States. So you have to do the time change to kind of, when is the zoom, you know, happening based on our time. Um, and Then I do retreats, refuge recovery retreats, where you get the people part of, you know, deepening your mindfulness, your forgiveness meditation practice is doing residential retreats. So then refuge recovery also offers retreats. I've got a seven day silent refuge recovery retreat coming up um, in a a couple months. So. Uh, the, the third component isn't happening right now, which is professional treatment, detox, residential treatment, outpatient treatment. I had that going, but it was uh, you know, dismantled by this accusation three years ago. I haven't been able to get it going again yet, but at some point we want to also offer professional treatment you know, where people can actually come in and live and get the support and the guidance and the, you know, process of, of recovery.
0: Powerful work, my man. So, uh, yeah, brilliant, man. I absolutely love this podcast and some inspiring insights to take away from this for myself and for all the listeners. So thank you so much for your time. And if anyone wants to reach out to you, find you, Know more about your work. Where is the best place to to find you or to reach out?
1: Um, so my my two websites are the are the best. The againstthestream.com. so people can go there. And I do a weekly. I don't know what time it is for you guys. I think it's like four a.m. or something. When it's seven thirty p.m. over here, uh, every Monday. Actually, I have a woman in um, she's in Dublin that comes every week. Um, and she's up at it's 4 a.m. for her and it's 7.30 p.m. for us. But she gets up and she comes to class mm-hmm. um, or whatever time change it is. So I do Mondays at 7.30 and that's also put onto um, YouTube. So there's the YouTube channel of those Monday night classes. And Against the Stream, I do retreats for people that aren't in recovery also for everyone. Mm-hmm. So Against the Stream.com and then refuge recovery.org and refuge recovery.org will give the links to the zoom meetings if anybody wants to check one out and also refuge recovery all forms of addiction so sex addiction food addiction drug addiction however however it's manifesting spending you know um getting all of that all of that in you know kind of everyone's welcome so people are welcome to check out those two
0: websites excellent i will put them put all those links in the show notes below. So go and check them out, everyone. And I'll also, uh, yeah, you've got a podcast as well, haven't you? Yeah. The, my, what
1: I do is I record my Monday night Dharma talk and meditation instruction, and then it goes on YouTube and then we pull the audio off for the podcast. I don't do a, an interview based. I
0: just post my lectures. Nice one. Well, plenty of value to be derived from that too. So yes, thank you so much. Noah. This has been an absolute pleasure and I hope to have you on again sometime and uh, in the meantime, I'll be checking out one of these retreats as well. Hopefully uh, when all this COVID passes by and yeah,
1: I'll get, I'll get back over to that side of the pond yeah. as they say, when I can.
0: I'm certainly interested in one of those silent retreats. Yeah. Uh, I'm looking at delving a bit more into that, in, into spirituality. So that is something I'm, I'm certainly interested in. And you'll be my, be my first uh, port of call when it, when it, when, uh,
1: well, maybe, maybe you can help put it together and we'll go, you know, we'll go do one in Ireland, find us a place and bring your guys and I'll bring my guys. And I, I'm actually happy to do some men's retreats. I've done some men's retreats in the past, um, but I always run into that dilemma of like, I want to be inclusive, but I think that there's definitely something to yeah. us getting together and having yeah. our own space. There's also a men's meeting and, in, in, you know, refuge recovery too. Like it's a good For thing. Them.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, there you go. Could be on something there. So yeah, we'll be in touch and uh, stay tuned, everyone, for that. Uh, Thank you so much, Noah. Thanks, Gavin. Good to see you. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in.